This is the 18th in a series of podcasts from the British Society for Haematology on published guidelines. Uh, this podcast focuses on the guideline on the clinical and laboratory diagnosis of heritable platelet disorders in adults and children. This podcast is being recorded over Zoom due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and we apologise for any loss in sound quality that may occur. My name is Keith Gomez. I am the chair of the Haemostasis and Thrombosis Task Force for the BSH. And I'm also the president of the British Society for Haemostasis and Thrombosis. I work as a haematologist in the Haemophilia Centre and Thrombosis Unit at the Royal Free Hospital in London. Firstly, I'll talk about why we need this guideline now before moving on to the clinical assessment of heritable platelet disorders and then finally discussing the laboratory investigations. The previous guideline was written 10 years ago and covered only the laboratory investigation and was also limited to platelet dysfunctions. In the last decade, there have been enormous advances in our understandings of how to diagnose and treat platelet disorders. And also we've recognized that there's significant overlap between both platelet dysfunctions and heritable thrombocytopenia. And so the BSH and the National Haemophilia Database in the UK use the term heritable platelet disorder to include both heritable platelet dysfunction and heritable thrombocytopenia. A good indicator of some of the changes we've seen in the area of heritable platelet disorders comes from looking at the statistics on registration numbers in the National Haemophilia Database. So if we look at the database in 2007, there are about a thousand patients registered in the UK with a heritable platelet disorder. If we fast forward to 2019, we now have just over 3,000 patients registered, a 165% increase. By comparison, over the same period of time, the increase in the number of von Willebrand's disease patients or haemophilia patients is about 10%. So you can see that there's been a massive increase in these disorders, as indeed there have been in other mild bleeding disorders. And that's indicated also by the fact that now, after von Willebrand's disease, haemophilia A and factor 11 deficiency, heritable platelet disorder is the fourth most common registration category in the National Haemophilia Database. If we consider the clinical evaluation of patients with mild bleeding disorders, then some of the key components for heritable platelet disorders are applicable to bleeding disorders in general. Obviously, a key part of the clinical evaluation is taking a complete bleeding history, and that's important not just for heritable platelet disorders, but for any patient with a suspected bleeding disorder. When we take the history, there has been a great deal of interest in the use of bleeding assessment tools. And for example, the International Society on Thrombosis and Hemostasis has a tool that can be readily downloaded and used from their website. And these tools were originally introduced because it was hoped that they would provide clinicians with a differentiator for deciding which patients need to be sent on for more extensive laboratory investigations. Unfortunately, they lack sensitivity for milder bleeding disorders, and there's various reasons for that. One of the most important ones, of course, is that the response of an individual to a specific hemostatic challenge can be quite variable. And so we can have some individuals with 
a mild platelet disorder who will experience bleeding when they have dental extraction and others with the same disorder who don't have that, that clinical feature. Of course, the amount of challenges that someone has significantly affects their actual bleeding score. And so the tools are therefore slightly more difficult to use in children as opposed to adults. And also women have more hemostatic challenges throughout their lifetimes than men. And so scores tend to be lower in men than in women. But if we take these caveats into consideration, there's still a valuable way of providing a, a framework for taking a complete history and also comparing symptoms from one patient to another. Once the diagnosis of a bleeding disorder has been made, then the tool can be used to score patients or provide a bleeding score, which then helps us to assess the clinical severity, monitor that over time, and also compare the clinical severity between, for example, members of the same family or families which have the same disorder to see what modifiers there may be that affect the severity of their bleeding symptoms. Another key component of clinical history taking is assessing acquired disorders that might affect platelet function or indeed platelet number. And drugs are perhaps the biggest category here. So there are some very well-known medications that affect platelet function, such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. But other classes of drugs, such as antidepressants, are also well-known to have an effect, perhaps lesser so. And we do need to take these into account when we're evaluating the patient. It's also important to ask them about non-prescribed drugs because many of the modifiers of platelet function might be found in medications that are just bought over the counter. Another important part of the clinical history is assessing for symptoms affecting other systems such as kidney disease or myeloid disease, which can both be associated with platelet dysfunction with clinically significant bleeding. Dietary supplements such as caffeine, garlic and turmeric can also influence platelet function, particularly if taken regularly and in high doses. So it's important to specifically ask about these when taking a clinical history. And now I'll move on to the laboratory investigations for the diagnosis of heritable platelet disorders. Obviously, a very big area here is platelet aggregometry, and I'll come on to that. But before I do, I just want to highlight two of the key new recommendations for assessing platelet count and size. As we've seen more heritable thrombocytopenias becoming recognized, it's become clear that the automated platelet counts that we use, particularly those based on impedance counting, don't always count all of the platelets in a patient sample particularly those that are large or abnormally shaped. And in many cases, optical platelet counting provides a more accurate, higher platelet count. And that can make the difference between whether a patient needs a platelet transfusion or whether they can be managed with adjunctive therapy only. So in the initial evaluation, it's important to assess counts by both methods. The other key measurement that needs to be introduced is measurement of mean platelet volume, which of course tells us how big the platelets are. And many macrothrombocytopenias have an increased mean platelet volume, well above the average of about 10 to 14 femtoliters that is seen in normal patients. Light transmission aggregometry remains the main tool in our laboratories for diagnosing platelet dysfunctions, 
And although it was first described in the 1960s, the basic technology has changed relatively little during that time period. It remains a difficult test to standardize, but the guidelines provide instructions or recommendations on what would be the standard panel of agonists and what concentrations to use for the initial evaluation of most patients with a heritable platelet disorder. There may be circumstances when laboratories want to use extended panels with different agonists. And the important thing here is to be able to distinguish between normal population and those with a platelet dysfunction. And the recommendation here is that an, an agonist concentration should be able to prov provide greater than 50% aggregation in 95% of normal individuals. Because of the natural variability that occurs in platelet function in any individual, it's important that any abnormal results are repeated and confirmed on a fresh sample taken on a separate day. In addition, any test which includes an abnormal sample should also include a normal control to ensure that the test is validly performed. As light transmission aggregometry remains a relatively specialist test, one of the key questions is whether the screening tests can be used to determine which patients need to attend a specialist center and which can be diagnosed in a general hematology setting. To help with this, there's been some investigations of point of care tests and global hemostatic assays. For example, the platelet function analyzer. Now, while these tests are useful for detecting severe platelet disorders, unfortunately, they lack sensitivity for milder platelet disorders and other conditions such as von Willebrand's disease. And so milder forms of these conditions perhaps are only picked up in about 60 to 70% of cases. And so we're left with clinical evaluation as the most useful way for distinguishing which patients need to be referred to a specialist center. Perhaps the single biggest advance in our investigation of bleeding disorders in the last decade has come in the form of genomic analysis. We're now able to offer testing for all heritable bleeding disorders, and that includes platelet disorders in the United Kingdom. And so a key new recommendation is that all patients should be offered this test. Genomic testing is normally done using high throughput sequencing. And this has allowed the identification of many new causes of heritable platelet disorders. The International Society on Thrombosis and Hemostasis has evaluated which genes are considered causative of all bleeding disorders. And if we look at the list that they currently publish of about 90 or so genes, more than 60 of those are associated with heritable platelet disorders. And so when offering patients a genomic test, it's important to ensure that all of the genes on the current ISTH list are included in the panel. One of the important points about undertaking genomic testing is that clinicians need to be aware of the limitations and the drawbacks of the methodology being used. And it's important that this is included in the consent process so that patients are aware of the possibilities of variants of uncertain significance and incidental findings and the implications of these for themselves and family members. In summary, I've discussed the clinical evaluation of patients with a heritable platelet disorder and the key laboratory investigations used in the diagnosis of these conditions. 
The BSH website contains the guideline in full, but it also contains appendices which include worked clinical examples of specific patients showing how the clinical history and the laboratory investigations are put together to arrive at the diagnosis. Thank you for listening. I invite you to visit the BSH guideline website for more informative podcasts from the Society on various important guidelines.